Hello everybody, welcome back to another podcast with Dawei. I'm here broadcasting from high up in the mountains. So there's a lot of interesting topics going around um, that we could speak about. Um, my favorite topic, uh, which I think is very progressive and very key to this idea of human evolution, development, whatever, uh, perhaps even blossoming, as some would believe it. Um, but I think there's hard evidence, if not proof, of this awareness dimension. If I ask you right now to stop thinking, What's left is just awareness, just consciousness. This awareness, sort of consciousness life, this, this knowingness, uh, but also it's an energetic sort of thing. Um, this permeates every cell, every vibration of your being. So that alone... Uh, is testament to the power that this can have. So just, if we, for example, bring awareness into our shoulders right now, immediately the shoulders are softening. If we don't have subtle awareness, then we don't really see that. Uh, but this is why I say, and this is why the the ancient wisdom practices of Buddhism and Hinduism and various other uh, hermetic traditions and even Christian mystics, this awareness nature gets more and more and more uh, multi-layered, multi-dimensional. As we stabilize, as we familiarize, it could be you just mindfully driving. That's why in Sanskrit, the sati, mindfulness, means to remember. But it can also have another context of just what is it that you're remembering? It's the present moment container. It's the state free from preoccupation and artificial sort of uh, illusion, illusory uh, worrying, stress, you name it. So many things, so much baggage we carry unnecessarily and all these things. And then also we're missing out on the true intelligence of coming out of the thinking mind and using the whole mind, which is this consciousness. For example, uh, when you jump in the ocean, when you come out of that ocean, the thinking mind can describe probably 5% of that experience, whereas the body, the heart, the emotional mind remembers. Even, I say this, the pinky, even the pinky remembers how to be angry. So this is our whole mind. You can drive and be distracted for a moment on the phone, but the rest of the body is still driving. They have a box jellyfish that has no brain, no heart, makes decisions. It hunts, it hides, it has self-preservation. 
See, this is really... And then, you know, we have many examples of brainless consciousness, brainless life, even in humans. And so, I don't mean that as a jab, okay? <clears throat> I mean, literally, there have been humans with virtually no brain capacity still alive. And... You can study the various uh, capabilities of those humans uh, with those limitations and to get an in-depth understanding of of the various facets of our mind. And it's interesting now scientists are starting to look for consciousness uh, in cells and things. And this is really uh, broadening, expanding uh, the definition of mind. So how to know God, how to know the magic, how to know about all this stuff that we have yet to discover. How are inventions made? It sure isn't with a tight, rigid, close-hearted mind. No, it's with an open-heartedness, uh, with a flow. This is how the prodigies continue. There's a flow without uh, overthinking, without interrupting that flow. Really, getting stuck on judgments. Uh, of course, we can have our judgments and contemplations and ruminations, but they can be a lot more natural. This is why in Buddhism they say there's dukkha, right? Everybody translates dukkha as suffering, but I think that's highly reductive and slightly pessimistic because actually dukkha means a wheel that cannot turn as good as it could. And tukkha is a good, a good turning wheel. So it's not so dramatic, you know. It's just um, things can be natural or unnatural. Things can be clear or illusory. Clear or muddied. Very sort of binary at the end of the day. And so this, if if more beings, and I'm not sure if that's the outcome or not, but if more beings came into this awareness dimension as many do through various means. Some are just sort of born naturally really into it. Others take various paths, right? And some even uh, in the context of the Nanyanas of Tantric Buddhism, I would say even Christianity, uh, worshiping Jesus as a sort of guru yoga, meant to open up the heart and the mind to the mysterious and to the wisdom just like all the other traditions, um, or actually there's multiple paths within Christianity. Guru Yoga is not the only path there. They have Christian mystics and many other saints and a lot of other things going on there. It's a whole uh, body of teachings. So this is, this is meant for the same purpose, but uh, obviously gets sort of distorted in its meaning, in its essence, as all these paths do. And I was born Bo I was born into Buddhism. I was born into other esoteric paths as well. And I had a lot of doubt, and I had a lot of need for empirical evidence, for proof. Proof is undisputed evidence. Evidence still has some murky, uh, still has some gray areas. So... I was born into this, so I've had a lot of exposure, but not only born into it, but actually then studied 
and practiced it to see for myself, is it true? And my ideals were shattered, guys. I had a very idealistic mind. Um, I was, you know, idealistic over the people, over the institutions. But the teachings themselves, especially when I started to find out that they're using this stuff in modern universities, and all these studies are helping to sort of uh, pin down what, what's, what's being said here. Well, what are we getting at? And Migyur Dorje Rinpoche himself said, The essence of meditation is awareness. Aristotle said, it's a, sign, it's a mark of an intelligent mind to be able to entertain something without accepting it. That takes, that takes a zooming out. One cannot, one cannot uh, entertain something like perhaps a Republican or a Democrat's point of view with, when we're so rigid in, in the uh, meditation paths. They say that's an overflowing teacup. You cannot pour any more into it. Uh, and then those people will sort of just shower you with their opinions and beliefs and there really is no two-way to that. And that recognition right there, when somebody's stuck in that two-dimensional aspect, say would save the world and save ourselves so much pain and trouble. Just recognizing when somebody's in that state of cycling through their own and is unwilling to, to hear you or anything, oh, you have to let that go. A person who's come into a higher dimension of of being, uh, so to speak, you know, all these words are going to come up short, but that person will be able to reflect on their own words on their own thoughts. Instead of being like a robot, just uh, spitting out from A to B, uh, you know, having barely any consciousness of what you're saying, what you're thinking, or what you're feeling. And so the same with our own personal cycles and habits. No matter how bad we want to hold on to them, many times all the signs are there that we need to let this go. It's never a matter of changing or creating something new. It's always a matter of letting go. And the new stuff gets created the best when it's created naturally without the tension. So truly, uh, this can benefit the world. Uh, the only reason we have all this intense greed and killing is because people, like a hot dog on a stick, they get led around by this impulse, this thought. And many times, almost, I would argue that probably all cases of, of extreme crimes and things like that are just somebody who's preoccupied with particular thoughts. Mass murderers, you name it. It's just a thought they're holding on to. And choose to elaborate on it. And choose to really begin to garden it. Embed it into their true mind, their whole mind. And then next thing you know, their body, their feelings is all cocooning around this thought. And that's what we do in our life. For the most part, we're encouraged to cocoon ourselves around a particular concept, idea, or set of thoughts, a practice, a trade. 
and that trade consumes us. And many times we sort of barely glimpse outside of that consumption to, to see that there's more aside from this content that's been displayed in front of us in the form of thoughts. So that we have these thoughts and we chase them around sometimes for decades or we hold them in our back pocket for decades. Hating our parents, all these things. Oh, this abuse as a child. And then we have very righteous ideas of why we hold that. We have elaborate justification many times. I know because I did it. I didn't really have a childhood. There's endless just abuse and loss and, you know, so much turmoil for a kid. No family videos, uh, very few pictures, um, no memories of spending time with family. So, Obviously, I had, and you may even hear it in my voice, that obviously I had those thoughts and I brought it down into me and I built around it and I built it up and I kept it and I snuggled with it. I kept it warm and cozy and empowered it. But with awareness, because I meditate and I've been meditating for years, these things, when that state of consciousness presents itself within my awareness, for example, if I have a memory of when I was a child and then I start to feel, my whole mind starts to react because that memory is surfacing from where it was hiding, then I start to bring that entire state of consciousness within awareness. And just like a song that you hear too many times, uh, just that looking at it will begin to free it up and we'll start to say, well, I don't really want to hold this anymore. I'm sort of tired of it. It's un unnatural. And this gets really deep. That's why, you know, they say sometimes you start practicing because you start to see very many layers into the nature of experience. And we don't have the words and concepts for a lot of this stuff. It's like in the 1700s if somebody wanted to explain the Internet. There's so much happening right now that has not been invented, has not been discovered. Our spectrum of visual uh, input is limited. Same with uh, audio and our smell and taste even. You know, there's animals out there that have us beat. That can smell better and hear better and see more dimensions or of further along the spectrum, the visual spectrum, than we can. So our reality, naturally, if our, our five senses are sort of re reduced like that, naturally our mental sense will also be reduced. That's only pure logic. And we don't have the mental... Um, where the, the we don't have the mental sort of preparation or even the capacity. Maybe, maybe we have the capacity, but not... We don't have the building blocks yet to truly describe the infinite or even even 
consciousness before in the 1700s when they first started discovering electricity it was nothing it was like oh what is this you know nobody paid it much attention some people thought that they were starting to harness the power of god but it was a quite mysterious phenomenon and it didn't become uh more extraordinary until it was able to be seen labeled conceptualized all these things so just like that you know when we think of gamma rays and dark matter there's so much that we don't have concepts for and it's incredibly arrogant if we think we have reality figured out right now because here we come back to pure logic in the 1600s it would be like them saying oh we got it all figured out now you know during the renaissance for sure that would have been a cause when Bruno first looked up at the stars and and recognized that the um you know that the earth revolved around the sun and all these things and he, you know he got killed for that uh and saying that the the universe was infinite and and just kept going expanding instead of this tight little container of the gods that was traditional uh a belief yeah, he got killed for that, burned at the stake. And um, that was, even then, they could not say they had it figured out. In the 1500s, this would be like in the year 700, we say, oh yeah, we got it all figured out. Because we discovered the world was round. We never have it all figured out. And that's what empowers us to continue inventing and discovering. But these people, these fanaticists, whether it's getting behind religion or science, the just the theory, the theory of the Big Bang theory is real. You know, it's like you could never be a scientist like that because you close off all your room for exploration. It's a theory. It's something we propose based on our calculations. It's not something that. A finite fact, okay, there's very few finite facts. Even gravity itself has been challenged. Finite laws. So, main point is leaving the mind in a state of openness and receptivity and using that intuitive mind, the one I was talking about, not just the thinking mind, to begin becoming informed. And that's what they call the wisdom. Using that whole mind... Uh, which is the apex of every path. Every path. It all comes down to wisdom. And there's many synonyms for that. Compassion, skill, skillful means. All products of wisdom. Infused with wisdom. So, okay guys. Um, I think I was able to speak my truth a little bit today and share... Uh, I really think, you know, this is, you, many people talk about benefiting the world. And, you know, Malcolm X said one of the greatest mistakes of the movement was that we tried to move a sleeping people. First, we have to wake the people up. And really, when it comes down to changing this world, changing the climate, all this stuff, at the, really, the main factor is us. We keep looking outside. How much plastic do you use? What is your footprint on this earth? 
How much killing do you do? Stealing, lying. You know, how much are you contributing to pollution? All these things. At the end of the day, it comes down to us. And until we budge, it's still going to be dukkha. It's going to be a wheel that doesn't turn as good as it could. All right. Peace and love always. And um, take care out there, guys.